Hello and welcome to another episode of No Country for Old Meg. My name is Megan and I'm currently recording this in my classroom on my lunch break and it is pouring rain outside so I'm really hoping that the microphone doesn't pick up on the cars driving through the puddles. So fingers crossed that I don't have to re-record this all again. This week's episode is about surviving in a country where you don't speak the language. And I'd actually love to speak to anyone who has had maybe some similar experiences or lived abroad themselves, or perhaps even live in Ireland as a non-native. If you'd like to share any of your anecdotes or stories, um, I'd love for you to get in touch which you can do over on Instagram at underscore, 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 so three underscores, W-R-I-G-H-T. So yeah, send me a message if you'd be up for a Skype conversation or a Skype interview. That would be great. So usually one of the first things that people ask me about my time abroad is how I managed to get by with communication. And to be honest, it can be tricky and embarrassing at times. My miming skills have never been better. I'm going to be the ultimate charades partner at Christmas in between games of like Scrabble and Monopoly. I mean, most cities will probably be able to help you with a little bit of English, especially within Europe. But I always feel rude and try to learn at least like a few phrases in their language in order to be able to ask for help. But I've just learned to kind of suck it up and become used to looking like some sort of non-speaking lemon in so many social situations. In fact, some studies suggest that up to 93% of communication is non-verbal. But it's kind of difficult to mime asking whether or not something contains peanuts in a restaurant. And I've lost count of the amount of times that I've made a fool of myself whilst abroad. Usually it's as a result of attempting to speak the other language like there's nothing quite like thinking you've perfectly prepared the phrase that you need for a certain situation only to have the other person stare at you in confusion unable to understand you or else managing to say what you needed to say and then not understanding the response but I've kind of gotten used to it like I said it's amazing how much you can communicate through a sort of back and forth game of charades or miming So luckily, I studied French in university, and I'd be at least like an advanced level. I still found myself in so many situations where something had gotten lost in translation when I lived on Reunion Island. In Reunion, they speak French and Creole. Often, I think maybe it was because of my accent, especially with older natives, who would find it quite difficult to understand French being spoken in a foreign accent. And in spite of how well I can speak French, I still can't perfect the accent enough to sound like a local. I know my own grandparents would have found it difficult to understand English being spoken with a foreign accent. And somewhere like Reunion, where they don't come across too many people speaking French as a second language, it's understandable that I was often misunderstood. My landlady in Reunion was this lovely woman in her 60s, Elise, who she took quite a liking to me because she said she felt like she's always had a connection with Ireland. And her husband told me that he really loved the bagpipes. 
And they were so enthusiastic that I didn't want to correct them on the origin of the bagpipes. So I just kind of smiled and nodded along with them. However, she was very much a talker. She talked so excessively and so quickly that sometimes like my brain just felt exhausted after talking to her because I was trying to translate everything in real time. And often I find myself just sort of smiling and nodding along and hoping that she hadn't asked me a question. But she helped me with some of the trickiest tasks of when you move abroad. Things like opening a bank account or any kind of admin. That can be sometimes hard enough in English, but if you've ever heard of anyone speak about the French or Spanish administration systems, you'll realize that it's actually shocking. And reunion was a bit like living in the past as it was, so I never would have managed to open an account using my level of French. So she took care of all the paperwork for me and she came with me for an appointment to open an account. And luckily a friend of mine who was living there was also half French and she was able to come along and translate as my landlady actually didn't speak a word of English at the time. And it was rare to find someone who spoke both English and French there. Finding either a helpful native or a bilingual friend especially when you're living somewhere with very little English, is one of the best things you can do when you move abroad. So Reunion didn't always have a super high level of English. And it was sort of like this in Spain, where I faced actually a harder struggle, having about four words of Spanish in total. And I lived in a small city where everyone either spoke Catalan or a mix of Catalan and Spanish, and very rarely English. Here I moved in with someone who had been living there for quite a while and I didn't need to deal with landlords or leases and I could still use my Irish bank account. So I was pretty lucky in that sense. But in order to work in Spain, you need to register as a resident at the local police station. It's a bit of an ordeal. I'm still not entirely sure how it works. I mean, I could have unwillingly been signing away my soul, but I had no idea. I just trusted my boss's father who sorted me out. He came with me to the appointments and to the social services centre and the police station. And this card allows me to work and avail of health services, which on a side note are free and are extremely efficient in Spain. <laughs> However, the police in this city obviously weren't used to having many Irish people registering. And when I did receive my card, instead of where my name was, it said Megan Irish so then this involved a whole other hoo-ha where I had to return to the station, redo all of the paperwork, etc., etc. And it's just something I couldn't have managed on my own. Some things that I miss when I move away is being able to make small talk in like cafes and shops. And often you find yourself getting tired of constantly embarrassing yourself. I mean, the locals mean well, but often they just repeat what they had already said, but more loudly and slowly. So in Spain, I decided to get myself a junior search less stress, more success book, a small guide to Spanish verbs, um, a pocket phrase book, and I downloaded Duolingo. And I spent an hour every day religiously teaching myself Spanish. Having French was actually really helpful for this because I kind of already stood the layout of verb formation. And French is also like surprisingly similar to Catalan. However, I made the mistake of assuming that pronunciation of Catalan would be the same as the words in French because they were spelled the same. And one day I very confidently tried to order in Catalan after happily realizing that I could understand the menu. So I ordered my Americano, which was the same word, that was easy. 
And then I decided to order a sugar waffle. And in French, this is une gaufre avec du sucre, which is fine. Same spelling in Catalan. So why was the cashier staring at me in confusion when I proudly announced what I wanted? It turns out while Catalan and French look the same written down, they're actually spoken very differently. And we eventually figured this out through some pointing and miming that what I'd actually wanted to order was gaufre con sucre. Sucre means juice in Spanish and means sugar in French. So what I'd ordered was something that must have sounded like I had something stuck in my throat along with juice. And I actually returned to this place pretty frequently because unlike most cafes in Spain, it stayed open in the afternoons and it was open on Sundays. And they began to teach me my numbers in Spanish. At least I think it was Spanish because I was learning Spanish from my book, but could read some Catalan from knowing French and I was picking up spoken Catalan. So I guess my spoken Spanish is kind of like a mixture of Catalan and Spanish. And sometimes I don't really know which I'm speaking. But even having basic Spanish made such a difference to me. Like my usual bars and cafes were so encouraging and helpful. And they were always delighted for me when I was able to order in Spanish, congratulating me or like correcting my pronunciation. One of the first times I went food shopping here, the cashier asked me if I wanted a bag. And again, I must have looked at her with an expression of panic mixed with confusion because she held up a bag and said, bolsa. I asked her again how to say it in Spanish and I repeated it after her. And then she asked how to say it in English and I told her bag. And then we kind of looked at each other with her repeating bag and me repeating bolsa. And we held up the cue, but it was just like a really lovely bonding moment that I think of pretty frequently. And it was just kind of funny me going bolsa, bolsa, and her nodding going bag, bag. So six months there was a good amount of time to pick up the language, I think. And to get to a basic level, especially when I would speak English all day at work and with my friends and flatmate, was quite an accomplishment, I guess. My students often helped me when I'd ask them for the Spanish equivalent of a Catalan word that I'd learn. But my class of 10-year-olds were a little less forgiving. I asked them how to say dog. And the Spanish for dog is perro, I think. I can't roll my R's. And the word for butt is perro. Or maybe it's the other way around. I can't remember. Either way, for one of them, you have to roll your R like a... I can't do it. Like in French, it's fine. Instead of rolling my R, I just make a sound. And... No matter how hard I tried, I just couldn't do it. And this group of 10-year-olds absolutely loved it. They thought it was hilarious hearing me try to do it. But much like I found in Reunion, practicing another language in front of kids is so much easier. Like There's less reason to feel kind of self-conscious. Kids just seem to understand more easily. And they're kind of happier to slowly try to figure out what you're saying. And, you know, they'll do miming and charades. And I found that I didn't experience the same level of kind of embarrassment or awkwardness when trying to communicate with adults. And perhaps it just comes more naturally to them because they're used to having just learned another language. They're used to me acting out everything while I try to teach them in English. However, I think it's fair to say that my biggest challenge so far has been with Japanese. I mean, prior to this, I had the advantage of learning languages that were both from the same kind of language family, but that also used the same alphabet as English. Whereas Japanese not only uses a different alphabet, but it in fact uses three alphabets. 
I even felt nervous trying to say hello and please and thank you at the beginning. And I haven't been as strict or as motivated as I was in Spain for learning the language. I mean, before leaving, I spent ages researching the best books for teaching yourself Japanese and I ordered two of them online. And they're still sitting nice and clean and untouched on the shelves in my flat because I just haven't opened them. I mean, I've been telling myself that it's because I work longer hours here than I did in Spain and that I don't have as much time. And this is true, but I've also just been really lazy. And I think I've just been intimidated by how scary it looks as a language. However, I do have time off after Christmas and I am determined to make a proper attempt at learning it. And I think I'll just aim for like really basic reading and focus mainly on the speaking. Luckily, after the Soccer World Cup in probably about 10 years ago now, um, train stations are signposted in English and the announcements are also called out in English on the train, which is incredibly helpful because otherwise I don't know how I'd have survived. Even seeing the stop names in English is intimidating. Eventually, I realized that I just need to stop being scared and get on with it. And once again, I've continued to make a fool of myself about a gazillion times. But one of the most useful phrases I've learned is it's okay, which is budes, for when someone offers me something or asks if I need a bag, etc. I can just say it's okay. And over time, you start to begin to understand repeated phrases like, do you want milk or sugar or here or take out or do you want a bag? One day at the beginning, I found myself staring at a train timetable in Japanese um, on the platform and it was a station I'd never been to before so I was really confused as to when the next train was and this tiny Japanese man seemed to appear out of nowhere and he beckoned for me to follow him so he pointed to the other side of the sign where it was actually displayed in English and showed me how to read it because it was like a numbered chart sort of thing then he just bowed and left often people avoid sitting next to me apparently this is because they're worried that you'll speak to them in English However, the ones that do speak some English are more than happy to help. I mean, one evening a friend and I were unsure if we were on the correct train and we were discussing this and a woman turned to us and confirmed that we were on the correct train and told us that our stop is two stops away. And then she reminded us when we got to the stop. Another time I moved seats in a cafe to allow two girls to sit together and they kept thanking me in English and when I left they thanked me again and said goodbye. And sometimes being blatantly foreign is kind of helpful when the TV license inspector visits, for example, or when a dodgy man tries to chat you up, or when charity street workers try to approach you. Often when you say, I don't speak French or Spanish or Japanese, they try to speak in English, you can just start speaking in Irish, like totally random Irish phrases, they don't have a clue. This sort of scares them off, actually. I mean, I used to even do it in reunion when... I would speak French in a really strong English accent and be like, je ne parle pas le français, which means I don't speak French. And then if they tried to speak to me in English, I would just start spouting random phrases in Irish. Once on the bus in Reunion, actually, a group of teenage girls were staring at me and whispering. And this wasn't that abnormal, actually, because it happened to be a lot there. The locals were a lot more tanned with lovely dark skin and wearing things like jeans and jumpers. Whereas I stood amongst them 
looking like sickly pasty despite having spent months in the sun wearing shorts and a t-shirt and like frantically dabbing sweat off my forehead and the back of my neck. Eventually one of the girls in the bus leaned towards me and said hello and I replied hello and they all squealed and laughed. I heard them say elle anglaise. This happened a lot with kids and teenagers actually. I'd hear them talking about me and assuming that I didn't speak French and There used to be two security guards that I walked past every day on my way to work and each day they would laugh at me and wave and say things like, it's not too bad today or stay strong. Whereas I would just kind of like nod back at them whilst like trying to breathe in the heat. I ended up helping a company here with English labeling for their products. The head of the company didn't speak English, but when I was introduced as Irish, he gasped and bowed and said, rugby. And people tend to like Irish people are they're kind of curious because they often haven't met many in the past. There are heaps of Irish abroad. So sometimes it is surprising when someone says that they've never met an Irish person. But a few times I've had to show people on Google Maps where exactly it is. And this even happened to me in Spain. In Spanish, Ireland is Irlanda. And sometimes they mistook this as Holanda, which means Holland. Once I was queuing to pay at the doctor's office and this little old lady had been looking at me and eventually she turned to me and kind of hit me lightly on the arm and said, De donde eres? She's like, where are you from? And I said, Irlanda. And she gasped and was like, oh, Holanda, like Holland. And I was just like, yeah, okay, why not? One thing that's really fun in foreign countries is going to the supermarket And I love going to the supermarket when I'm on holidays, just because I love looking at all the different products and packaging. However, I also have quite a severe peanut allergy, which means I need to carefully check the ingredients and everything. So my trips to the supermarket can often take quite a long time. In Japan, it's like stepping into a whole other world. Not just because I can't read the packaging, but also because of the sheer abundance of products and noise. On top of everything, I'm also vegetarian and it's incredibly difficult to decipher whether or not something is meat-free and even what looks like a vegetarian version of something usually has beef or pork flavoring. I need to set aside like a decent amount of time to do a food shop. Google Translate in hand, going around scanning everything. So Google Translate has this great feature where you can open the camera and scan the text. It's not the most reliable, especially if you're not connected to internet. And sometimes it basically makes no sense whatsoever, especially when the packaging is shiny and difficult to scan. Something that should have been extremely easy to find here was soy sauce, but they also have so many bottles of oils and flavorings and God knows what that it took me a couple of weeks to find it. I just could not, no matter how much I scanned all of the bottles, I kept finding oyster sauce. And eventually I decided to ask a shop assistant for soy sauce. So firstly, I tried to say it. I looked up on Google Translate soy sauce and she looked at me completely confused. Firstly, she had to pull out her glasses and take my phone and kind of hold it forward and back until she could focus on it. And she seemed to have no idea. So I tried a few different variations of soy, soya. Um, and then she went to go get help. So I had to wait a good maybe three or four minutes standing in like the sauce aisle, feeling like an idiot. And it was so embarrassing. 
Living in non-English speaking countries can be, it can be isolating and lonely at times, as well as exhausting and frustrating. And sometimes I miss being able to just chat to cashiers and bar staff or being able to just message my friends who are nearby to grab a pint in town or something. But more often than not, I don't get too homesick. And I know that if I don't like somewhere, it's not the end of the world. I can just cut my losses and book a flight home. The main survival tip, I guess, is just cast your pride aside and get ready to be embarrassed, potentially on a daily basis, as well as finding someone who knows the sus. And when all else fails, just buy a junior cert textbook and go all hell for leather learning how to write a postcard in Spanish. So if you have lived abroad, like I said at the start of the episode, or if you have experiences that you'd like to share, we could organize a little chat over Skype or something. Or if you have any other suggestions for future podcast episodes, I would also love to hear those because I have a list of ideas that I'm starting to work through. And don't forget to follow or subscribe or like or rate or whatever on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. If you use iTunes, I would love if you left a wee five-star rating. Thanks again for listening to No Country for Old Meg. Speak to you all again next week.